Go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 1. This is going to begin our series, and the series that we're calling it here uh, is Jesus, the Man, the Myth, the Legend. And um, I think that uh, uh, we, we, we can talk a lot about, about Jesus, and uh, if you look at Jesus from uh, kind of a general perspective, you find that this character, Jesus, is one of the most controversial characters in history. Uh, there's much, much controversy about Jesus. There's much, much controversy about Jesus within the evangelical church. There's many, many people who are of your age that um, that have very, uh, what should I say, uh, unique understandings of the person and work of Jesus. And so um, we are going to today, we're going to talk a little bit about that. And uh, I wanted to start you off with uh, with a with a very interesting piece of scripture that's not here in Colossians, but I wanted to read it to you. But it's a, it's it's something that you need to take with you this next uh, this next week and and really look it over and mull it over. It's in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, where Jesus asks his disciples. He says something very interesting, and he says this. He says, "Who do people uh, say that the Son of Man is?" Isn't that an interesting question? That he grabbed all of the disciples around and he says, who do people say that I am? And uh, the disciples answered him and they said this. They said, well, some say that you're Elijah, the Old Testament prophet, like that. Still others say that you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then after they're finished saying this, Jesus says this. And this is a question for you. And this is a question for me. He looks at it and he turns around and he says, turns it on them and he says, well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And I want to tell you something. That question is one of the most massive questions that you will ever answer in your entire life. Ever. There's much of your life just listen to what I'm saying now, because it's important. There's much of your life that teeters on that question. That balances on the question, who do you say that Jesus is? Who is Jesus in the midst of your terrible struggle that many of you are struggling right now with maybe addiction? Who is Jesus? Who is he? Who is Jesus in the midst of my very difficult marriage? Or who is Jesus in the midst of the pain that I have experienced in my life that nobody would ever know about. We can walk on and on. Who is Jesus? Well, I'm one of my favorite authors of all time, and many of you love it when I use some of his quotes, and I'm going to use his quote today as kind of the beginning of uh, what I want to talk with you about the front end. It's uh, C.S. Lewis in his fine treatment of Christianity called Mere Christianity. For those of you that are uh, needing in any way to... Uh, explore the faith, and you'd like to know more about your faith, it's a phenomenal uh, and maybe a real cornerstone read for all Christians. But in Mere Christianity, Lewis makes this statement, very interesting. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg or he would be the devil of hell. You must take your choice. Either this was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. 
You can shut him up for a fool or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. The point that Lewis is making is this. When you consider the life and teachings of Jesus, you only have to have real three real plausible options when you think about him concerning his identity. You don't have the option of Jesus being a good moral teacher. Let's be realistic. How could he be a good moral teacher and knowingly mislead people about his identity? He And what I'm speaking of here is Jesus clearly said he was God. If you are knowingly misleading people, you are a dishonest person. You're not good. You would have to conclude logically that he was a deliberate liar. Is Jesus lying? So the first thing I want you to consider today, let's, let's go off of Lewis' statement a little bit, and I want to ask you a question is, was he a liar? Jesus claimed to be God in John 8, 56. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. And then Jesus, and then the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and have seen Abraham. And Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. The exact same statement that God makes in the Old Testament. I am. I am God, Jesus said. Was Jesus lying? If when Jesus made his claims, he knew that he was not God, then he was lying and deliberately deceiving others, his followers. But if he was a liar, then he was also a hypocrite because he told others to be honest, whatever the cost. While he himself taught a colossal lie. So was Jesus a liar? to the point where he actually told others to be honest and good, but yet he actually lied about his own identity? Is it plausible, folks? Think about it. A liar that can actually was, was he, I guess one, one, uh, one author said this, was he a demon? Could he be considered a demon or the devil from hell is what Lewis refers to. And he says, he says this, he actually told others to trust him for their eternal destiny. He couldn't back up these claims, which would make him unspeakably evil. If he was a liar, he wouldn't have told that to people. He wouldn't have said to people, well, uh, guess what? I go to prepare a place for you. And if that place didn't exist, then was he lying about a heaven? It's important to think like this. It's important that you know, I think, what Lewis is trying to communicate. Was he a liar? It's something that we have to answer. How about this? Was he crazy? Was he a lunatic? If it is inconceivable for Jesus to be a liar, then couldn't he actually have thought himself to be God but be mistaken? I'm playing the devil's advocate. After all, it's possible to be both sincere and wrong at the same time, isn't it? Is that what Jesus was? Was he sincere and wrong at the same time? So he was delusional. But we must remember that for someone to think himself God and then tell others that their eternal destiny depended on believing in him is no light issue, but the thoughts of a complete loony lunatic. It's difficult to imagine him being a lunatic. 
We see a man who spoke some of the most profound sayings ever recorded in human history. His instructions have liberated millions of individuals from mental bondage. So if he was a lunatic, how could his instructions liberate other people from being a lunatic? Thank you for your grace in allowing me to be a little bit of an apologist here with you today. This is an interesting quote. Clark Pinnock says this, Was he deluded about his greatness? A paranoid, an unintentional deceiver, a schizophrenic? Again, the skill and depth of his teaching support the case only for his total mental soundness, if only we were as sane as he is. And by the way, I think that's the way that it's come. I think that many times my life is far more insane than the sanity of Jesus or the insanity of Jesus. Or how about this? Let's finish with this today. Was he a liar? Was he a lunatic? As, as we've just talked about, or was he Lord? And look there in Colossians 15. Look what it says. He is the image of the invisible God, it says, the firstborn over all creation. Let's look at he is the image of the invisible God. Wait a minute. Before you do that, park that and go down. I want to fin- I want to hit on something real quick because I can't spend a lot of time on this. But do you know what the firstborn over all creation is? Jesus existed before time with God. So he wasn't born. Firstborn is a complete reference to the fact of this, that Jesus is the highest ranking one. Jesus is the chief one. Jesus is the greatest one. Jesus is the leading one. Now follow this because this has ramifications for our lives. Jesus is the one in authority. Jesus is the rightful error. Error, I'm sorry. Now think of that because it has massive implications for you and I. I'm not so sure that Jesus is the highest authority in my life. Is he yours? Is he the highest authority in our moral lives? Is he the highest authority as we relate to our job and our future? Is he that? Is he in the rightful place that God wants him to be in your life and in mine? Great question. Which goes back to who is Jesus? And what role does he play in our lives? He is, let's go back now up to, he is the image of the invisible God. Randy said yesterday that he was walking, uh, uh, I thought this was hilarious. He was walking at the uh, the Opry Mills Mall. Is that the name of it? Yeah, Opry Mills Mall. And uh, he was walking around and uh, he looks over by the door and he sees um, a young man dressed up in the Michael Jackson leather. Red leather. And he is, and Randy says he gets so intrigued by looking at this guy that he goes over and he just watches this young man and he's like dressed to the, you know, he's got it all. He's got the garb. And he, this man goes over and he stands by the door and he actually takes that little mask that Michael Jackson used to wear and he puts it around his face and he stands, just stands at the door. Right? You want to talk about loon, loony, right? And, my, and, and Randy said this. He was intrigued by the fact that he 
wanted so badly to be the representation of Michael Jackson. Do you remember that? Did you ever dress like somebody that you really thought was cool? Who are they? Anybody? Anybody? Michael Jordan, exactly. And how about, I, I remember the days, for those of you that are, that are too young, I remember the days where girls dressed like Madonna. That was a dangerous proposition. By the way, for those of you that missed it, uh, on our Halloween party, Will and Patience are here. And Will and Patience won the award for the best costume. And Will was trying to be the representation of Mr. What's his name? Thank you, Will. Mr. Tumbus. And what? No, I didn't say it right. What is it? Tumness. Okay. And, and Patience was who? Lucy, of course. So precious. And little Lucy was Aslan the lion. So the baby was got, right? Right? But the greatest thing about that night was that Will had the guts to not wear a shirt during the whole Halloween party. <laughs> yeah, right. But this concept that's being referred to here when, when Paul is saying that he is, the invis- he is the image of the invisible God is something that I want you to understand. The guy that's standing there at, in the Opera Mills Mall, he may have thought that he, he, he was in some sense a representation, right? And, and in the outward sense of Michael Jackson, okay? And maybe Will was delusional and he thought that he was in some sense... After all, no shirt. Maybe that really, you know, allowed him to be the representation. But when, 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 when Paul is saying this here, he is literally saying this. Now get this. Jesus is the exact representation of God. It's so important that you, you get this because we have a God who is a revealer God. He reveals things to his people. He reveals truth to his people. And the way that he wanted to reveal himself is not in a set of ideas and things that we can do and not do. It's actually in a person, and that person was Christ. Hebrews says it. Hebrews says the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Trust me, this is going to go somewhere, so just follow along with me. Jesus is the living, breathing, exact portrait of God. For those of you right now in your lives, you are like me. I have many frustrating times in my life and I wonder what in the world God's doing. Do you ever wonder that? When my, when my family got into an accident a few weeks ago, I was shattered. And I asked myself, God, who are you? What are you doing Why would you give me this kind of pain? I haven't gotten in the groove yet where I'm really, I really take disappointment and hurt and suffering as a part of my journey. I struggle against it. Maybe it'll be that way my whole life. But it's been, it's been, it was very difficult when you think about who in the world are you, Lord? Guess what? The answer that really had, that I had to be, had to come to, even at the foot of the hospital bed, with watching my, my youngest daughter ask if she was going to live, was this question. I need to, I, I want to know about Jesus. I want to know about God. I've got to read the truth to know about my Lord. And when I read that truth, I'm going to find a God that deeply cares about His Son. And, and says to me as well, 
this is normal for you. This is okay for you. I'm enough to take you through this tragedy. And I, will, I would even tell you this. Even if I were to lose my, my, my precious babies, Jesus is enough. Even then. Even though I couldn't imagine that. Even though as I talk to you about it now, I would be shattered. But the fact of the matter is, is that Jesus is that kind of healer. He is that kind of God. Do you believe that, my friend? Or is that just something that you've heard all your life and you look up at the ceiling, you roll your eyes and go, heard that before. Have you really heard it then? Think about that. It's important because Jesus explains to us about God. So many times what I would encourage you to do is if, you, if, you, if, you're, going through, if you're going through a moral struggle right now, right? Which many of us are. If you're, if you're going through a social struggle or an emotional struggle or whatever, go, go and read the Sermon on the Mount. Go back into Matthew chapter 7. Go back in and start reading about who is this man? This is my God. If this is my God, what is important to my God? The things he taught, the th- who he hung out with, what he said, what he didn't say. It says that Jesus went alone to pray. Maybe I need to be alone and pray more. You follow? It would have been easier if God had given us, like I said, that great set of rules, but he didn't. He gave us Jesus. You know, Martin Luther encouraged his students to flee the hidden God and run to Christ. (laughs) Isn't that great? Flee the hidden God and run to Christ. Christ has been revealed. God has been revealed in the person of Christ. He's not hidden any longer. It's a beautiful thing to think about. And that's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying here, when he comes and he says, he is the image, this whole concept that he's going into, this supremacy of Christ, he is talking about, now Jesus is our focal point. If you were to use a magnifying glass, and if you were to examine a fine painting in the magnifying glass, the object in the center of the glass stays very crisp and clear, right? Are you following with me? while around the edges of the magnifying glass, the view kind of goes increasingly distorted. Do you follow what I'm saying? I'm I'm giving you this picture here. What Paul is saying here is that he's saying that the center of that magnifying glass, as he looks down into, into the world, his worldview would be this. Jesus is clear. Now follow this. Would it be true that my life is lived on the edges of that? Do you follow? Would it be true that I don't want my life to look right down there into the center, but what I want is my life could actually be lived out in the shame of my sin, in the problems that I'm experiencing, in my past, in my suffering, in whatever the case may be, in those gray areas? Could it be true that that maybe it's... It, it's not the most important thing that I have all these theological concepts perfectly right. Maybe those are all on the edge, but the focal, the center of my life is Jesus. Jesus must be that focal point. In Hebrews it says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross 
Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I love that verse. I love that last statement because I grow weary and lose heart. And let me ask you a question today, young lady. Have you grown weary? Young man, have you lost heart? I'm not talking about, by the way, I'm not talking about losing heart in the church. You're going to do that every other day. So I do. I grow weary of myself. I grow weary of you. I grow weary of my family. I grow weary of my life. I lose heart all the time. Only to have people come back and just give me, give me the gospel. And what, what Paul is literally talking about here is that Jesus, as you think about Jesus as that focal point and the author and the perfecter of your faith, when you considered what he's done, that in that actual considering, that's going to help you from not growing weary and losing heart. Do you follow? So actually, the, the thing that helps us in our pain isn't necessarily the book that we're going to grab. Even our community around us, and if we feel great, and we're having a good time with our brothers, and we're real connected into a church, and all those things. None of those things, except for the person, your God, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There is something about that name. Do you speak it in your life? It's a good thing for us to consider. And I'm not so sure anymore that it's just step one. I think it's all the steps. It's a good thing for us to think about. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this scripture today. We thank you for uh, the fact that we would even be able to speak your name in this space today. And I know that as I, as I talk about this today, this is a struggle for us because um, we so badly want to run our lives. We so badly don't believe that you could actually be our healer. We so badly as, want to think about the focal point of our lives being our desires, being the things that we, have, we, we think is, are going to get us ahead. And Lord, it's difficult. It's a very humbling message for us to think that we would be this Christ-centered in our lives. Where we would think about you. Lord, I pray you'd bring us to this. I pray, and I pray even now, that I, I speak the name of Jesus, the shed blood of the cross, the resurrection power of you, Jesus, on my friends' lives and stories right now. We speak your name, Lord. Because we many times, I, I, we, we feel confused. And so we need you to come. And as we think about even you in the next five minutes, we need you to bind up our, our, our broken hearts. We need, need you to help us in our weariness. We pray all this in your name. Amen.